0: Let's turn to 2 Kings and uh, Chapter 4. And uh, for three weeks now, we've been taking a look at Elisha, and uh, we're going to continue to do so on a Sunday to follow, particularly the three miracles that we find in 2 Kings Chapter 4 and Chapter 5. There's a huge amount of detail given to us by the author about these three miracles they stand out in detail compared to the other events that we read in the life of Elisha so let's begin then with uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 and the story of Elisha and the widow so we looked at this last Sunday night let's turn to it again this evening so 2 Kings 4 and verse 1 a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying your servant my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord now the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves so Elisha said to him what shall I do for you tell me what do you have in the house and she said your maidservant has nothing left at home but a jar of oil so he said to her go borrow vessels from everywhere from all your neighbors empty vessels and make sure you have more than a few and when you come into your house you shall shut the door behind you and your sons then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the ones that are full so she left Elisha and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out the oil and so it was when the vessels were full that she turned to her son and said bring me another and he said to her there is not another and so the oil ceased and she came back and told the man of God and he said, "Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest." We're going to look at one phrase from the first verse: "A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha. Well let's ask God then to help us as we turn to His word. Lord our God we thank you that we can meet uh, here on a Sunday evening we thank you for our service this morning and uh, for all that that we saw and what we heard and we thank you that we can meet again this evening to seek you to hear your word again to ask your blessing upon us Lord it may have been a busy day for us and uh, Lord we're so often tired at the end of a day so we ask our God that you would help us to be alert to you to hear your word to be able to respond to it lord we not only need to understand it we need to know that you are speaking to us and that lord you then wish us to live our lives accordingly so hear us then as we commend ourselves in jesus name amen so you may remember why we are studying elisha on a sunday evening let me just remind you then that this is a time of crisis for the people of God and uh, the crisis has been uh, gathering pace for some time the people of the northern country of israel have a whole series of kings who do not know god and uh, we have a journey that begins then uh, with the kings leading the nation away from god and uh, you and, our, and I, in our Bibles, we have one Kings and two Kings. It's one book in the original, and whilst it's meant to be the royal book, the book of the stories of the kings, there are two figures who stand out in great detail, and those two are Elijah and Elisha, and it's their story that matters far more than the story of the kings so as his people then are taken from him god sends two prophets to bring his word to the people and uh, when we meet the first we meet elijah we have the phrase the word of the lord repeated throughout the opening uh, scenes in elijah's uh, ministry and uh, when elijah dramatically appears and then when he goes to see the widow uh, we have this phrase again and again the word of the Lord and so the whole idea is that in a time of crisis when the people turn away it's the word of the Lord to which we turn and it's the word of God that stands firm and in a sense both Elijah and Elisha are two men who verify and confirm that the word of God endures forever so first of all we meet Elijah and Elijah is this great character of thunder and uh, awe and justice and wrath and uh, the whole emphasis on Elijah's ministry is to bring the wrath of God upon the people for turning away from their god and then we meet elisha and uh, from the very word go elisha stands as a very different character those opening verses in one kings where elisha is plowing uh, the field with those 12 yoke of oxen we, we get the sense that here is is a man who is going to stand for a ministry of mercy and uh, love and compassion a mercy of feeding and sustaining the people of god and uh, we saw two weeks ago how there are two pivotal moments in the life of uh, elisha when he is elijah's servant the first is the phrase the chariots of israel and their horsemen." that phrase elisha uses when elijah departs and it's also then used when Elisha himself comes to die. And do you remember, we said that phrase is concerned with the work of God. At a time of crisis, how can we know if God's work will continue? So Elisha goes, "Will God's work continue? Elisha, when he leaves, again the idea is. Will the work of God go on? And then you've got the second important detail. And uh, many of you will know it. It's when Elisha asked to have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And the whole idea there is that Elisha will do twice as much as his master Elijah. So do you remember what we've noticed? If you were to count, you would count eight miracles performed by Elijah. You then find sixteen that's attributed to Elisha. So he is doubling the effect of Elijah's ministry. In this account of, of a widow, we saw last Sunday how Elijah also encountered a widow. And the two stories, very similar. But you're meant to notice the difference, and the difference is in the number of sons. So Elisha's widow had one. Uh, Elijah, sorry, Elisha's widow has two. So there's a doubling effect in the ministry of Elisha. And then, as you look at the very last verse in uh, Two Kings four, when Elisha intervenes on behalf of this widow, she is able to do two things. She is able to settle her debts, and she is able to live on the rest. There is a doubling effect in the ministry of Elisha. So we are going to concentrate on these three miracles: the widow, the Shunammite woman, a very wealthy woman in her own community, and then we'll see the story of Naaman. And what I want us to do is this. I want us to see. The just like the days of Elijah and Elisha, we too are in a time of crisis. In our communities, it is a time of crisis for the people of God. So what do we do in such a time of crisis? On a Sunday morning, we're trying to understand society and the way society has changed tonight our object is slightly different the church is in crisis not just you and i in this congregation but many churches in many places the national so-called church we are in a time of crisis so just like in elijah's day and elisha's day we turn to the word of god to find our help and we need to see, first of all, what is it that we learn about God from the story of Elijah and Elisha? And then, what do we do? How do we respond to these days of crises? Well, let's turn to the first verse then of uh, Two kings, chapter four, and uh, that phrase there that we have uh, in the opening words. We read that the widow cried out to Elisha. Now we've identified who the tradition. Do you remember? Is that she is the wife of Obadiah, Obadiah who was the prime minister uh, during the kingship of Ahab, Obadiah who hid the prophets in the caves, fifty in one, fifty in another. The tradition is that Obadiah got into debt to feed the prophets as he hid them from the wrath of Ahab and from Jezebel so this woman she is in debt because of the faithfulness of her husband obadiah he seems to have borrowed very heavily from a certain rich man in the community and then he dies and so she is left with his debt she is left without the ability to pay back the debt and the sense in verse one is that she's just met with the creditor the person from whom her husband borrowed the money and the creditor has given her an ultimatum unless she can pay the debt soon he will take both her sons into his service as payment of the debt now she's a widow and i don't think we will on a sunday but we may at some point study the whole position of widowhood in the old testament and even into the new testament we have a lot of detail in our bibles about what it meant to be a widow and the weak and vulnerable position of widows in Jewish society, so she's right at the bottom of the, the pile. She is meant to be looked after and supported by society, but it doesn't seem that that is the case. Her only hope lies in her two sons, and if she was to lose both her sons, then she would be as good as dead. She'd have no support she'd have no place, she'd have no future, she would be without hope. And so what she does is she cries out to Elisha. Now, you may remember that we just briefly mentioned last Sunday that she is supposed to cry out to the king. The way Israeli society works the king would be available to hear the concerns of his people. And so do you remember Solomon? Uh, he had those two women come up to him when they were in dispute about a child. And uh, we can see later on in this chapter that Elisha uh, asks the Shunammite woman, Does she want him to intercede with the king? So the tradition is this: you go to the king with your concerns but she stands in contrast to that the writer very deliberately is emphasizing what this widow does she does not in her crisis call out to the king instead what she does is she calls out to Elisha She is uh, supplicating God himself in her distress. And just think for a moment how many times in our Bibles we encounter the people of God in their distress calling out to God. So you may know now why we read from Exodus and uh, the second chapter. Because you have exactly the same idea there. You have the people of God as slaves in Egypt. They're under terrible oppression. And uh, in that state of oppression, they cry out to their God. And you've got some of the most amazing verses right there at the end of Exodus 2. Because you have the name of God repeated, repeated, repeated. Uh, the God who hears, the God who remembers, the God who responds, the God who's the living God he responds to the cries of his people it's the same in the psalms and you also see it in in the ministry of jesus some of you are very fond of those stories in the gospels of fathers bringing their children uh, to jesus and it's exactly this idea the people are recognizing jesus as god and they are acting in the same way as the Israelites did in in uh, Egypt, as this widow does here. You come before God in your deep distress, and you cry out to Him. So it's a theme throughout our Bibles. Now, in passing, let me just tell you something that I think we need to learn from this verse before we go on any further she doesn't cry to the king she cries to god we are used as a church i don't mean us particularly but in our country we are used to the idea of crying out to the king when we are in distress we still have the notion that we should appeal to government when the church is being badly affected And I think one of the lessons from this story is the widow recognises where her help comes from. And so I still think there's a tendency among us to unquestioningly say the church is suffering, society is changing, the church is being in a sense marginalized in society. Let's appeal to the king, like we always have. It's very interesting here that this widow refuses that option and instead she turns to Elisha. So let's very quickly what let's see what we can learn from the fact that she cries out to Elisha. And uh, you're not surprised, are you, if I tell you that the word there, the word to cry out, is uh, the idea of deep distress. This woman has no other options. And she turns to Elisha in her deep distress. And what she's very aware of is her need. And uh, the sense is this that she's been in this condition for some time but it's worsening and uh, the trigger seems to have been if if you get the sense of the language being used in verse 1 the trigger seems to be a recent encounter with a creditor but this isn't a new problem she's been like this for a while and she comes to the point where her need is so great and her distress is so deep that she cries out to god now it seems to me that we today can see the need to cry out to god we can see the need to cry out to him on behalf of our congregation we can see the need to turn to god for our families and our loved ones but we haven't reached the point that this widow is at it seems to me that there's a difference between seeing the need and then feeling it so deeply that you cry out to god So I think every one of us here tonight would be willing to say, yes, we need to ask God to help us as a church. I'm sure all of us would say we see the need to be praying for our families. We all know, every one of us, that we have family members who are not Christians. And we could say to each other, yes, we, we should be praying for them and we probably are in our homes and we would also see the need to pray for society we, we see it there but this is a different order of things in verse one she's been praying she's seen the need she feels her situation but then something happens to bring her to the point where she cries out god and i think in a sense that's the main lesson from this phrase crying out to elisha you can see the need you can be in distress but so often it's only when something happens that we cry out to god from deep distress and what i'm hoping is this i'm hoping that as we Uh, follow Elisha together we'll see as a congregation our need to cry out to God in deep distress because we see the need we have loved ones who are without Christ we have loved ones who are lost and dead in their sins and we know it with our heads and I don't know what it is we do, but we seem to be able to somehow lock that knowledge away and get on with things day to day. So we know that parents who are getting older and who are without Christ are just one breath away from meeting God. And we know it and we know the same for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren it doesn't matter whom we we are identifying we know that they are without christ but still there seems to be something that prevents us from crying out to god in deep distress feeling the need and it's the same uh, as a congregation you know we'll say to each other won't we oh my gosh we're getting older we're getting fewer do you know the age of the average age now is getting up into the 70s good gracious me what's going to become of us and we can say it to each other but there's a difference between that and feeling the sense of urgency to cry out to god it's almost as if we have to be touched personally before we cry out to God. I don't know why. It seems as if head knowledge of a need doesn't move us in the same way as a heart knowledge, as being personally affected. So I want us to think very hard. The need is there. The crying out to God also needs to be there. And crying out on our own, crying out when we meet together, crying out to God that He would hear His people. Now, one of the things I think is also a lesson to learn is the fact that this widow has no doubts. Do you get a sense at all that she is saying to herself, Will Elisha help me? Perhaps Elisha has got a different agenda. Perhaps Elisha has more important things uh, on on his mind. After all, he's God's man uh, for the day in which we live. You know, he's dealing with kings and he's dealing with armies and and, and he's all about battles. So he's not going to listen to me, one person, and my concerns and, and my little worries. Do you sense at all that that's how she thinks we're going to look next week at the way in which she puts her request to elisha and i think there's a lot to learn from what she says my servant is dead you know that your servant feared the lord she's doing something there that is truly amazing and we can learn from it but there's no doubt at all is there in this woman's request now what i want you to do is just to examine yourself for a moment do you have doubts that should you cry out to god in distress and in need that he would hear you do you have any doubt at all that should you cry out to god in distress and feeling the need that he save a member of your family that he works in our congregation do you have any doubts and if you do because i think you do can i ask you what are your doubts why do you think god would not hear you now some of you are going to say well i know he can i know god in a blink of an eye could save that man i've i've lived my life with all these years i know he could and i know that god in a blink of an eye could take my son or my daughter who has no interest in christ at all and save them i know he could so knowing where do your doubts come from what gives shape to the doubts that you have and some of you are going to offer theological doubts aren't you you're going to talk about election or you're going to mention the fact that you can't bind god to any one place to any one community you can't ensure that god is tied down to us here in wales or or wherever that god is free to work in the world wherever he wishes and so you'll come up with doubts about the purposes of god and the ways of god and the sovereignty of god and all these theological doubts will be rising to the surface i think others of you don't so much have theological doubts what you have instead are doubts about yourself am i wrong to pray to god like this am i wrong to ask him to help me Is he concerned with me and my life and my situation think of all that's gone wrong for me you know nothing goes right for me this is what you'll be thinking you'll be looking at yourself and you'll be looking at your families and your situation and you'll say nothing goes right it's just one long story of this going wrong and that going wrong and then something else going wrong he's not going to hear me because if he'd hear me he wouldn't have let all these things go wrong uh, over these years and so your doubts arise from within yourself because of your own experience because of how you think about yourself how you see yourself you're not important you don't matter and it's wrong to ask god to help me in my difficulties so there's theological doubts and then there's personal doubts And so those doubts, they have the final word so that even when you do pray, there's those doubts swirling around in the back of your mind. And you almost say to God, well, God, we'd like you to, but but we understand if you don't. It's okay with us, God, if you don't, because we know that, that you're that kind of God who does what you please. And so we've got a way of asking God and then taking it away, even as we speak to our God. Here is a widow who recognizes that her help can only come from God, so she doesn't turn to the king. And as she comes, she comes without doubts, without fears. And the great element of the story is the urgency and the deep need that motivates her to pray. And yes, I would say about her that she's only like this in a sense because she is personally affected. And there's something about that, isn't there? I don't know why, but it's when we are personally touched that we then seem to be able to cry out to god so i want to urge us to cry out to god in the days in which we live from a place of distress from a sense of need let's pray let's cry let's bring our concerns to god and as we do so we'll remember the widow We'll remember the Israelites. We'll remember the parents in the gospels. Everyone who cries out to God is shared by God. And this is the great story of Elijah and Elisha. It is the God that we meet in a time of crisis. a God who searches out for people, a God who sends his prophets to widows, to those who didn't matter. foreigners and strangers a god who seeks you out listens to your cries answers your praise and delivers you from all your troubles well may god grant us then this crying out to him that we see here with the widow